Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Friday, January the 12th, rather gloomy, typically January-ish kind of morning here in TW11. Temperatures have lifted a little, however, and no sign of any danger to the significant racing in Great Britain over the weekend. And I will be having conversations with tra- with trainers Kerry Lee and Lucinda Russell later in this programme to talk about their big race runners at Kempton and Warwick. I'll also be chatting to Breeders' Cup Classic winning trainer Rick Dutrow, whose white barrio is on the trail for possibly the Dubai World Cup after definitely the Saudi Cup. It could be a bumper, a couple of paydays uh, for that popular grey. And I'll also be checking in down under at the Magic Millions with Bloodstock agent Jamie McCalmont, who also has news of when Kin Ross is likely to make a return to the track next season. But in our ongoing conversation about racing's funding, its fixtures, its media rights, transparency and racing's deal with the betting industry uh, martin cruddus the chief executive of arena racing company the parent company of a huge bulk of race courses in the uk that have a a big majority of the fixture list has weighed in in a very interesting interview with bill barber in the racing post uh, bill clearly lydia hislop right on top of his game because he elicited some really noteworthy contributions from martin cruddus that have arched more than an eyebrow or two uh, how will they be significant do you think in many different ways. I mean, Martin Credis was essentially setting out um, Ark's position in the light of uh, a wider dynamic, whereby the thoroughbred group representing horsemen are having conversations with other racecourses, seeking to share information about income streams and business performance and base uh, prize money agreements between those racecourses and uh, horsemen. Um, Martin Credis is setting out his position that Ark uh, will not be uh, following the likes of the Jockey Club down this road of transparency. He's accused people of economic illiteracy. Uh, I think he slightly misrepresented the Thoroughbred Group's position, but we can come back to that. In in launching these broadsides, he's also, uh, I think, put the sport in a difficult position vis-a-vis its current levy negotiations with bookmakers. And in passing, Martin has also uh, put the British Horse Racing Authority back into a, a governance, uh, a, a regulation-only box. He's made a sort of sweeping threat against traders and owners. Uh, uh, he wouldn't call them threat. He would make it, uh, uh, call it an observation um, that traders and owners should not engage in collective action by boycotting ARC courses. He's made uh, a similar 
observation to Chelmsford City about Chelmsford City's legal challenge to the ownership of the fixture list. And he's also said in passing a little bit of stuff about Premier Racing. To say that he had a lot to say would be something of an understatement. And he always does. And no one has ever doubted um, Martin Crudders's, uh intelligence, nor his ability to run a business extremely effectively. But at this crucial moment in time, the question is, is what is good for the goose arc good for the gander British racing? Well, Martin Crotus's uh, column prompted an interesting variety of reactions from across the, the industry. Um, one that caught my eye was a, a post on social media from Christian Leach, who with his wife Sophie trained successfully over jumps and on the flat and has had particular success with Forest to France as well, has got strong views on the, the running of British racing, indeed was a former employee of the British Horse Racing Authority as a handicapper, so has seen it from just about every vantage point. Um, Christian, with all that knowledge under your belt, you you launched a bit of a broadside at, at Martin Crudders and, and said you if if that was his attitude, then you wouldn't run horses at arena racing company tracks anymore. Um, can you just flesh that out a bit for me? Sure. I mean, it, it was a, it was a comment I'm sure angered a lot of people, and it, it certainly angered us as well. Um, you know, we we've owners who who love going to the art courses, and um, you know they've been very successful. You know, for us, but it, this really has come to a head now, and I think it's time for the industry, the, the horse, the horseman's group, and so on. I've got I've got to take action because you know it just isn't good enough to come out with statements like that. That that cannot just be their money. I understand they're entitled to a portion of it. But it's surely the people putting on the show, primarily the owners, the trainers and the jockeys, you know, they should be getting a percentage of that income as well. And to you know, basically say that we you know, have no, no rights whatsoever to have any um, access to that, it's just, I just find it absolutely extraordinary. We're not asking for access to their accounts, look through any of their accounts at all. What we are asking to do is what they get you know, per race and, you know, whether that, that is then reflected in prize money. And if, if it is, if they're not getting hardly anything at all, and this is the maximum amount of prize money that they as a business um, can sustainably put on, then fine. But let's, let's at least see those figures. I was just looking at some of your and Sophie's figures at tra arc tracks and non-arc tracks over the years. Now, you, you have fewer flat runners than you do jumps runners, but on the flat, for example, you've had 16 winners at arc tracks over the last five years relative to six at non-arc tracks. And of of your 141 winners over jumps, uh, still a pretty significant portion, 44 of those have come at arc tracks. So to what extent would you be cutting off your nose to spite your face if you boycotted the, the arc tracks, which are op offering you a pretty good opportunity for your horses, it would seem? They are, they're, they're terrific tracks. You know, we absolutely adore the likes of Hereford and Chepstow, and it, it's very, very sad. I mean, as you know, we are slightly different because we've been forced to buy our trade primarily in France now. Um, so we probably actually have more runners in France than we do in England, which saddens us because it's not that we wouldn't necessarily, you know, want to go there. We love France and we love the French people, but we'd quite like to be able to train in this country successfully. But that, that just isn't possible. So, you know, it's all well and good me saying it, as I said, with us having more runners elsewhere. But it needs, it needs the bigger figures within the industry to stand up and say, you know, enough is enough. Because, you know, if we, if we don't run a horse to those tracks, then they've got nothing to put on. They have to come to the table and have a, a discussion about what is fair. Because we, we're losing trainers. We're losing owners. You know, the industry is in a terrible... I've been in it for 25 years now, and I can't ever recall it being in as perilous a situation as it is now. Martin Crudder suggested that there was a, an element of the illegal about any kind of... I think what he was hinting at was any kind of orchestrated boycott as they're... It was an attempt at that a few years ago. Um, 
is that something that would would prey on on your mind if you were seen to be inciting any kind of uh, any kind of organized boycott of the arc tracks I don't think so because I don't think it can't be illegal for you know owners and trainers can obviously choose to run their horses where they do and you know I think a large part of this problem is that you know, to be fair to the race courses you know they they Market Raisin, for example, the other day put on a 20 grand nought to 135, and they only had five runners. So it's by no means the race courses are the only ones guilty in this. I think there are far too few trainers and owners who actually look at prize money for races, and that, that then dictates where they go. But with regards to the lag, it, it, uh, whether it's illegal or not to have a boycott, I'm not, as I said, I think owners and trainers can, can choose where they want to run their horses. If they consciously choose not to run at arc tracks, that's, for me, that's the only way forward. Uh, alone. There are others. Um, who, who do you, who do you think are, are other culprits then in this in this respect? I think everyone other than the independents. I mean, you look at Newton Abbott put on fantastic prize money, and I, I, I'd be pretty sure that in terms of profitability, they'd be right at the very bottom of the um, you know the table in terms of UK race courses. And there are numerous others that make you know great efforts in Taunton, Ludlow, you know those sorts of places. The prize money of those courses is excellent. Mm. Yeah, relative to the relative to the caliber of horse and, and race they're they're putting on, and I suppose you talk about trainers not supporting races with 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 prize money or not using prize money as a as a driver for where they run their horses. Is that really indicative of whether or not your own business model as a trainer has actually got prize money and uh, resulting percentages built into it? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a difficult one because obviously, you know, Paul Nichols is, is, is adamant and is very strong on the fact that his his owners are in it purely for the sport and as a hobby and, and as such, ironically, as champion trainer, you know, I guess the return on individual races isn't that important to um, to him or, or his owners. But obviously at our sort of level, you know, it's absolutely crucial. We, we wouldn't dream of entering a race without looking at what the prize money was. And I say that obviously is a rare occasion. We'd have, we'd have to have in the past gone to Wolverhampton or so somewhere because the only would want to but that's changed now okay lydia that was that was christian leach not putting all the responsibility at arc's door but nonetheless made some interesting points were they fair ones do you think in response to martin crudders i thought he was being fair and balanced he did talk about how much he enjoyed uh running his horses and his owners enjoyed running uh their horses at arc tracks but he makes um a, a business case whereby um the way his business is run he is very much looking at the bottom line and if running his horses at arc, tra- arc tracks is not as economically viable as running them elsewhere he won't be running them there it's quite easy to get um on a high horse when it comes to talking about arc and a lot of people in the horse racing industry do uh, does it not behove us to uh, put the case for the defence, particularly in regard to what Martin Crudus uh, recognised himself, obviously, as a significant increase in total prize money contributions, uh, way in excess of inflation since he he took the reins at ARC. Uh, he stepped in to, to save Hereford when previous management had uh, cast it to one side. Uh, and not only that, if he has got a responsibility to grow his business and to his shareholders, people would think in in the society we live in, well, that's exactly what anybody else um, charged with running a business would do. And if he grows his business, then he grows its potential to be a significant contributor to British racing. How would you? How would you answer that? Well, I mean, I, I, I think we do have to recognise uh, the the positive things that um, 
Arc has done under Martin, as you make the point that in he makes the point in the article that in 2015, when he became chief executive, prize money was 11.5 million, and in 2024, it's set to be between 25 and 26 million. As you said, that's a very much, very much above um, inflation. That is a real terms huge increase. They've also made investment in the track at Southall, they've done drainage work at Chepstow and Lingfield, and on the Sedgefield Bend. Uh, as you say, uh, he, he he brought back racing at Hereford, which was uh, very, very welcome indeed. He wrote to Lucy Fraser about uh, in the government about the impact of affordability checks. Um, and he's he's also been uh, very forward ab about that in terms of um, trying to find a way forward for racing, for bookmakers and for government uh, to ensure that there is a way forward in terms of uh, executing frictionless affordability checks. So, you know, there are, there are things that he has done. He's also uh, on the the commercial committee which has been responsible for for premier racing um the the problem is that he is ta taking a position whereby he wants to protect um arc's income stream and its income stream and its business model is rather different to other race courses income stream and business model and each race courses or each race course group have a different way of doing it now i think the thoroughbred group would point out that when they're having constructive and detailed discussions with a number of, of race courses that they have taken to account that different race course groups have different business models. They are not purely looking at uh, what uh, Martin Credis um, is essentially implying that they are they are looking at um, that, you know, they just want a, a cut, a, a cut of, of media rights. I think that the thoroughbred group are negotiating different deals that takes into account the whole of a race course's income, uh, looking at their income streams, looking at their business performance, sharing information, which is a common strategy in it, with with organizations like this working within a, a business stru structure it's it is normal to do those kind of things as you say you like the, you know, i don't know tesco and uh it's farmers you know they they would they would have an understanding of costs and income in that in that kind of way and that is where racing is trying to to move towards via the thoroughbred group having conversations with race courses and they are constructive and it, it is significant that the jockey club have entered into those negotiations so have york uh, the thoroughbred group also saying that they're currently in, in going to have uh, scheduled talks with Ascot, Chester, Goodwood and Newbury. The position that Martin is laying out in his interview risks putting Ark as something of an outlier in that. And he is consciously making Ark an outlier in that. He he doesn't mind that. In fact, he he would wear that yes. quite proudly if he thought yes. it was the right thing to do. For his business and and clearly as you see in the article doesn't mind uh, saying what he thinks i want to drill down into the sort of wider significance of this and the the point you raised at the beginning which is the impact this could have on the ongoing discussions between racing and betting as we approach april this year and the deadline that was laid down in the 2017 levy negotiations for some sort of reform and agreement of the levy uh, and the that is april the 24th mm. now the betting industry will be presenting um its entire its whole it's in the round contribution to the sport as evidence that the uh, levy does not need to be reformed too much particularly in relation to capture of bets that take place uh, internationally and i think we can safely say that the the idea of moving to a uh, a levy based on on turnover has been jettisoned given the fact that the sport's not turning <laughs> in the at the moment um but this is important because Given that Martin has has conceded 
that four fifths of his business model is based on bankrolling media rights, um, the bookmakers will just say, "Well, there you go. We're writing the check for this. Uh, how you how you then distribute it through your industry? That's your problem." Exactly. So the the key sentence is, or the two. Uh, key sentences from Martin R. We run 586 fixtures and all but 100 make a substantial loss without media rights. So that's our business model. This fixation on one income line is economically illiterate. Well, uh, as you say, it's caused quite a reaction. Michael Duggar, who is currently um, chief executive of the Betting and Gaming Council and is going to be chair uh, very shortly, he's tweeted to say that bookmakers are fixated on media rights. These are hugely rising costs for what is sadly a declining product. Simply bankrolling media rights shareholders without making racing more attractive to owners, trainers and punters is not a sustainable, open quotes, business model for the wider sport. So, yeah, absolutely. So at the very moment that that racing is looking to uh, to to uh, broaden its position vis-a-vis levy income with uh, government, make that argument to government and negotiate with bookmakers. Um, Martin has, I I think many people in the negotiation will feel that uh, Martin's transparency, ironically, in this regard, um, (laughs) probably is probably not that helpful timing. So taking the contents of Michael Duggar, the chief executive, soon to be chairman of the BGC's tweet today, why is it that the bookmaking industry has become more negatively fixated on their contributions through media rights than perhaps was the case before? Well, it's very unusual that you will get an on-the-record comment from representatives of Bet365 or Flutter or Entain. Happily, (laughs) one of the supporters of this uh, show, Fitzdare's chief executive, uh, Will Woodhams, is normally happy to speak on such matters. So, Will, answer that question for me, if you will. Super easy, and also I know what <laughs> 365 Flutter and Entain think, so I can tell you on their behalf, although they're not allowed to say anything. Um, some of them have struck not very good deals um, with um, the two media rights owners in racing, um, who we both know. Um, I've done similar deals. It, a really simple rule of thumb on this is, which most of your listeners will like, is that when I arrived five years ago at Fitzdesk, we were paying £50,000 a year to the Press Association for the data from the racetrack, so basically the silk, so who was running and who won. And now I'm paying about £2 million a year. Uh, the addition to this is I now have streaming on my app, um, but that's about it. Um, and the streaming doesn't uh, doesn't encourage more gambling uh, to the tune of £2 million. So they basically uh, got a golden goose system, which is a turnover model. So basically your uh, £10 bet now, um, 2 to 3% of that will go directly to um, ATR RMG. So, so ha- hang on, let's let's just clarify that. It'll either go to, well, to RMG, Racecourse Media Group, the parent company of Racing TV, who administers the media, the streaming and LBO rights for their partner courses. And when you say ATR, you actually mean TRP, the racing partnership, the parent media rights holding company uh, that are responsible for uh, something equivalent on ARC tracks and Newbury, Ascot and so forth. Exactly. That is, you know more about it than I do, and I pay the bill. Um, but the, um, but the, absolutely. So this turnover model. The two. The problem is the turnover percent. Basically, you could be lose. You could be losing money with punters, and you're still paying the race courses. So what they wanted was a, a kind of bulletproof revenue stream um, to sort of monetize the courses more, because obviously the for whatever reason they weren't making money elsewhere 
And this was also to, um, I suppose, offset the closure of lots of physical retail bookmakers, which hasn't happened at the speed that it was suggested because physical retail bookmakers were paying large sums of money for those pictures. Got it. Just dial, just dial back a little bit of an explainer required here. The original media rights deals that were brokered between the racecourses and the bookmakers were predicated, certainly in RMG's case, on number of licensed betting offices. You'll remember we had this when the uh, FOB-T legislation was coming in. There was terror in the industry because suddenly there'd be loads of shop closures and that media rights uh, landscape, which has been based on amount of shops, you know, how, how many pictures you get into individual shops, that was threatening to be blown up. So in its in its place and moving with technology came an ever-reliance on, on streaming and watch and bet. Yes, carry, carry on. Correct. Uh, all correct. <laughs> Again, you know more than I do. And... Um, but the problem here is um, I can have yeah, winning punters and I'm still paying out. So in a sense, as I said, it was a bulletproof mechanism for the two media rights owners. The problem lies in that racing stakes are about are down about 20% year on year. So this sort of silver bullet that they thought they'd come up with is fundamentally broken because if the stakes go down, that amount goes down. So their way, I presume, their business model is to increase the percentage that bookmakers are paying. And they're kind of heading for about a 3% number. Um, and uh, I can't speak for both of them and their, and their strategy. But um, this 3% number, basically, really, when it boils down to it, means that offering a racing product um, to punters is unprofitable for us, which is why you're seeing Skybet take away uh, best price guarantee or bog uh, you're seeing a lot of benefits for punters being removed um, by all you know I don't think 365 even give out horse racing free bets anymore um, because it's just too expensive a product now mm. so the cost is just so high at the front end on data rights um, that you know that the market you know I suppose you're hoping the market will adjust um, but it doesn't because a price is a price on a horse and the market kind of sorts out the price so at the moment bookmakers are pulling all of the benefits that punters were receiving and uh, because it's just so expensive now to have racing now other sports um, can be expensive to have streaming but you don't necessarily need it and they're much that you're not paying uh, both a levy uh, and a data rights amount so i think the bigger bookmakers are looking to get people playing on tennis during the afternoons on a wednesday whereas we've always had the best product on the planet to bet on all week all day and in the evenings so it's a, it's a bit of a, a shift because it's now becoming too expensive a product for bookmakers mm to make margin on and so they're looking to other sports or casino right and but your to your point about the bigger firms taking away the offers the best odds guarantee and the free bets and whatnot which of course will will satisfy uh, a, a lot of uh, people who were on one side of the gambling debate but that's another that's another issue altogether this is actually more about about margins because those margins are going up a little bit artificially perhaps because of that even though the turnover has come down, that, of course, will make the overall levy picture uh, look quite rosy because, of course, the the levy uh, to, to the Horse Racing Betting Levy Board is, is based on uh, the gross profits of bookmakers rather than on turnover. And, of course, is that, Will, why you don't hear anyone in horse racing now clamouring for a turnover-based levy model all of a sudden? Well, I think, uh, to, to my point earlier as well, the turnover, as you say, the turnover is going down. So uh, the levy, again, would have to just constantly readjust the percentage to to um, to facilitate that and to, and to guarantee X amount of money per year, which would obviously 
annoy bookmakers and everyone else. So, yeah, it's a challenge. I really think we need to revert back to just profits and to make uh, so bookmakers do invest in whether it's free bets or not or just sponsorship or whatever. You know, we want bookmakers investing in racing. We need bookmakers investing in racing. We've been slammed by affordability. You know, it's not even happened yet, but everyone's enacting it. Some bookmakers are using it to close winning accounts and all that, which isn't good for the industry. But ultimately, we want more money flowing into racing in which, whichever direction it can come from. And I don't think it's been thought through for a five-year strategy, this, at the moment, which is why bookmakers are more and more annoyed about it. And I do worry when the big bookmakers turn their backs on horse racing, we're in a real quandary. Uh, Will Woodham is our chief executive of Fitzdares, who are one of the supporters of this podcast, um, which is lovely. But even more lovely is that I can turn to Will to give a... A, a rounded view on what the betting industry is thinking when some of the big players can't or won't uh, speak publicly, and it was quite a useful primer. That I thought. I think it very much, it very much was, and it it, it sets out uh, bookmakers' position, and it sort of underlies what a a very difficult landscape it is, uh, and from a, a a landscape whereby there were. Uh, concessions but with that comes restrictions and closures we're now getting the clawing back of concessions but without the uh, positive side of things which you would ideally have in an ideal landscape I think you would have a a minimum bet law you would you would have bookmakers obliged to take bets up to a certain a certain amount of money now clearly you would not be able to have duplicate accounting and there are some issues in that area that would need to be resolved but it just seems like we're a very very long way away from that whereby you know with affordability checks and with bookmakers worried about about their margin and their their output for the uh, punter who is you know pretty good but not putting on a huge amount of money not a professional is essentially what I'm saying who likes horse racing it is a very very barren landscape currently and that that is a concern well what is a slightly more um, fertile landscape is the racing tomorrow at Warwick and Kempton we'll start at Warwick the Hampton novices chase is a cracker features the grade one winning hurdler apple away uh, who was behind Grey Dawning a couple of starts ago, tomorrow's rival, but made amends in style last time. Lucinda Russell is Apple Away's trainer. I began by asking her how satisfied she was by this mare's progression over the larger obstacles. I think it's worthwhile pitching her. She's got a, a nice mare's allowance. You're right, she's got a bit of ground to make up on uh, the Haydock run, her first run over fences, but she then went on to Leicester, and it was funny watching her through the race. You could see her suddenly change, and she she worked out how to do it. She's a very clever mare. Being a filly, she's she's hyper intelligent, and she's just worked out how to lengthen and shorten and get in tight and stand off. And I just think that race really made her. So um, I think there is improvement in her. I'm hoping that uh, we'll see that on Saturday. Um, and you know, this is a as you've just said, it's it's pretty mouth watering stuff. So uh, it's. Um, yeah, if, if she can run well here, we know we've got a good chance for the festivals. There, there's an old saying that says that if you have a a mare, uh, particularly a jumping mare, who who is good and is tough and is honest, then they will keep giving you everything. Is there any truth in that, or is it an old old wives' tale? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, you just have to watch her at home. She's a she's a filly that knows her own mind. It's, it's funny. She's owned by Old Gold Racing, and they've got. 3,000 very enthusiastic um, partners in the, in the in her group and um, they come out to the owner's 
uh, yard visits. And she got a bit funny about it. She didn't like it. Uh, and she didn't want to go back into her stable. And she, then she didn't want to come out of her stable. She's, she is a filly that you have to look after. She's not just a, you know, sometimes the gelders can just be so straightforward. They're, they're almost dull. She's not like that at all. She has her own mind about things. But she'd run through a brick wall for you. I mean, you know, as a... If you, were, if you were going into battle, you'd want to be riding her because she's she's just strong, sensible, has her own mind, but terribly, terribly brave. You've got you've got runners all over the shop tomorrow. I'm the most high profile one apart from her in terms of the the race that he's running in. A serious operator in the Lanzarote. He's a he's a big enough price. Um, should he be? Uh, I don't know. I, I you know he he won nicely at. at Doncaster. I think the key to him really is the ground. We've been running him on softer ground around Aintree and around Cheltenham and stuff, and he didn't really like that. But good ground is, is what he really wants. Um, he's having a it's, a it's a shot at a very big pot. Um, we could have waited till the end of the season to do this with him, but we're, we're going to try it now. So uh, he's in good form. One last time, straightforward little horse, nice horse. Okay, and how are the how are the how are the big boys? Ahoy, Senor Javinko, and particularly Corrick Rambler. Uh, so current Rambler is still taking the Mickey edge of Skew as I speak. Good. He's uh, coming back down the gallops with his head on the ground, and Skew can't stop him. Excellent. Uh, that's just that's just usual stuff. Um, funnily enough, I watched the uh, replay of the Grand National last night. Can't stop myself, and you can see him do it up the run in. He suddenly puts his head down with Derek and, and takes off. But anyway, he's he's wonderful. Uh, Ahoy, Senor is in my mind. He worked uh, last week. Last week he worked a couple of days ago and uh, did a four and is right back to himself. He's he's back to being the the brave uh, sort of a, a bully almost when he's up the gallops beside another horse. Uh, worked really well. Um, so I'm hopeful for him. Giovinco is a little bit quieter, so we're going to give him a bit of time. He might come back out at the start of February, um, but we'll just see how he gets on. But he's yeah, he actually he was alongside a horse and you're slightly intimidated by him. Um, is there somewhere you can run a hoy, Senor? Uh, he's going to go to Cotswold Chase, I think. Okay. Cotswold Chase for him, which he won last year, of course, and straight to the Gold Cup for Corrick Rambler. Looking forward to seeing them all, and good luck tomorrow, Lucinda. Thanks. Thank you very much. Big weekend. Have a good time. Bye-bye. All right, Namian Lion is a big fancy for tomorrow's Lanzarote handicap hurdle at Kempton. I've got very limited time. Kerry Lee is on horseback. She's about to break into a hack canter through the woods near her yard. Uh, in Prestane and and Kerry, I, I I know my time is limited, but you can tell me before you get run off with and drop your phone how Nami and Lion is and how he's going to run tomorrow. Yeah, he's good. Thanks, Nick. Um, really hopeful that he can run a nice race. Um, he's perfectly entitled to be there, isn't he? But it's um it's very hot, very hot as it as it the Lanzarote always is. Um, first time at the trip, but um, fingers crossed he'll enjoy it. Uh, and everything about him seems to suggest that this is now the sort of trip that he wants. Is that a deceptive thing because he's finishing over two miles or not, do you think? I think we'll find out tomorrow. But um, realistically, he was doing his best work over at the end of 2-2 at Kelso um, in March. You have to say that he was going away from them two two and a half um and he's got some very nice form on the flat over two miles in france so you'd be hopeful wouldn't you you've looked after this horse like you think he's very very good do you yes of course i do um he is very good but how good he is we don't know um but but you know he's very fragile um he's had two years off with a leg and um as such we've got to respect that haven't we okay one final question then you mentioned that 
Is that why you've effectively kept him to softish ground rather than the fact that you think he needs it deep? Oh, yeah, 100%. I don't think he needs soft ground. I think he has to have soft ground to look after him. Okay, perfect. Kerry, you've told us more than we need to know. Look forward to seeing you at Kempton. Thanks a lot, Nick. Bye-bye. All right, that was Kerry Lee there. Um, Hopefully she didn't get run off with or drop her phone. And before that was Lucinda Russell. All interesting runners for sure. Lots of lots of good, insightful comment there. Lydia, I I always used to um, be of the mindset that was probably, I was conditioned to and that used to get written about. This was a bit of a dark period, you know, January, a bit boring, no good horses running. Nichols gives everything flu jab, especially this Kempton Warwick weekend. Oh, it's a bit of a, Far from it. It's a cracking day's racing tomorrow. It, it really is. So there's so, so many significant races that you mentioned at Warwick. There's the headline races. I mean, there's the like of like of the um, Sylvaniaco Conti, where we've got Edward Stone stepping up um, over fences the first time to two and a half miles, up against the likes of Pictori and Banbridge. Um, Banbridge running for the first time this season. Not long till May's in there as well. Janadil over. I mean, that is a, a cracking contest. Uh, you mentioned the the classic chase at Warwick, but the, the undercard is also important. There's the Hampton Novices Chase. There's a load of significant novice chases going on. The Towton also at Weatherby. There's races at Punchestown and at Nace today that are going to be significant mm. for the novice chasing scene. And for the novice hurdlers, the Lawless of Nace today rescheduled. Uh, the probably, the, I'm sure, the best um, novice hurdle so run this so far this season. And we've got the Moscow Flyer at Punchestown on Sunday, a great tee that is usually very significant indeed. And that has got Jigoro and also Annie Powers' son, Mystical Power, defecting from the Lawless to come to I think a more suitable target there. Uh, and we should give props to Kempton, who've taken a bit of a bashing here and elsewhere. Um, for stuff behind the grandstand but what is on in front of it tomorrow is extremely good and no doubt is testament to a, a, a track that is probably going to be about perfect ground wise yeah I, I mean that's the key point about Kempton isn't it uh, you know this came up when there was that awful time when it looked like it might might be sold off for housing I'm not going to go into the, the, the ins and outs of that now but what the, people were saying that the loss of Kempton was an emotional argument it absolutely was not an emotional argument it was a completely logical argument at this time of year there is no other track with the capacity uh, to be able to put on this kind of ground i.e not bottomless hock deep ground um to to serve the level of horses that needs to be served you know i.e proper saturday horses kempton the whole of the industry is reliant on kempton to do that and that is why it is so fundamental to this sport that it can continues to flourish mm. all the races tomorrow at kempton are sponsored by coral who've given a lot of uh, support to the track over the last couple of years uh, the races at warwick are um sponsored by unibet yes but also by uh, the wiggly group and trust a trader and Potemps. so uh, quite a good selection of sponsors at warwick tomorrow but cheltenham part of the same group have lost another important sponsor just tell me what's happened here yeah, they have. So the Ballymore Group, they have ended their six-year backing of the Bearing Bingham, which is the intermediate trip grade one novice hurdle. 
Um, and that means that 21% of the Cheltenham Festival's races are no longer sponsored. Sporting Life do, do not uh, sponsor the Arkle. They've brought to an end their three-year sponsorship, but the National Hunt Chase, the Grand Jandule, the Martin Pipe and the County do not have sponsors either. And now that is a, a shocking state of affairs. It is not bookmakers' fault, as you and I have discussed, that they carry so much of the sponsorship within racing it is i mean it is a huge frustration i'm sure to you it certainly is to me that there doesn't seem to be enough drive to try and find sponsors outside of the bookmaking industry and also outside of the companies owned by people who own horses you know that this is a this is a failing if you can't sell the Cheltenham festival what can you sell and it it, it is it's quite embarrassing that that the sport cannot get these races to be sponsored and you know i don't believe that racing is is unattractive to that degree i think it's a lack of drive um can you give me a phrase a, a of this luke mcjanet case luke mcjanet was a licensed trainer in the uk uh, and there was a lengthy uh, inquiry and then disciplinary hearing into uh, a runner of his at Leicester just after racing resumed in June 2020. So it would have been behind closed doors. Um, and everyone had forgotten about this case until it suddenly popped up this week. Yes, and Chris Cook uh, has obviously uh, attended it, which I did not do, and he's written about it in the in the Racing Post. The media can, of course, attend these cases uh, by uh, requesting to and can watch them online, and that's what Chris did. So Luke McJanet, who used to train at Newmarket, he hasn't had runners since June 2021, and also a member of his staff um, have been found in breach. McJanet of sharing inside information and also encouraging a bet in contravention of those rules. And and Ivor Collier, um, who is a member of his staff, has uh, been found in breach of betting against a runner from the stable where he is employed. A third person has not been found in breach. We'll be getting further details about that when the written reasons come out. And also we're going to find out what the penalties would be. But I imagine they're going to be hefty ones. They come out in a couple of weeks time. And it's about the defeat of Art Act of Magic at Leicester on the 30th of June, as you say, just after lockdown, who finished seventh of ten. And uh, the point that um, Chris Cook makes, well one of them, is that that's a, a very very long time for this case finally to be surfacing and being heard by the disciplinary panel. This is a, a point that he makes regularly and uh, and these waits are far, far, far too long. You know, I'm sure the BHA will point to COVID and delays uh, caused by that, but it, it can't just be that anymore. That that excuse is beginning to to, to wear thin. But um, yeah, uh, the, what they didn't find uh, was that um, Janet had in instructed Collier um, to uh, place his lay bet. So uh, in that area, the disability panel uh, judged that uh, the BHA's case had fallen short. OK, entries just revealed for the Saudi Cup, the world's richest horse race taking place at the end of February. Uh, all eyes will be on White Barrio, the Breeders' Cup Classic winner, having a Breeders' Cup Classic winner in a race in the Middle East if it's the Dubai World Cup, Saudi Cup massively increases the interest of course rick dutro the trainer's with me now rick the horse never looked back since joining you uh, how's he developing through the winter we could not be happier with him and he could not be happier with himself he's just in a zone oh that's that's good news so he he moved forward from the the breeders cup classic how's his training regimen been since have you been able to give him a bit of easy time or not or do you just have to keep 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 him ticking away no, no, he's had plenty of time between his races, so we kind of just let him come down after his races, which he does the right way, and 
he's always ready to be picked back up. He's, he's, all he needs is that cue, and he is on it. So we gave him some downtime. He's even, you know, he's just been relaxing. The, the breezes that we've been putting into him have just been all basic, well within himself. He's just doing it so comfortable. I love watching that horse breeze. He just, he just gets you so excited, man. He's such a nice horse to be around. Just we're just over the moon being around the horse. Tell you the truth. Mm. And, <laughs> and and do you? What about the nine furlongs round one turn? Is that going to be right up his street? We've been licking our lips since he's won the Breeders' Cup Classic because we're feeling this might be his favorite game, which we're headed to. So we are just, man, we're just we cannot wait to load him in the gates there okay and then what might be the if that all goes well are you going to stick around in the middle east and go to dubai or come home or what's the deal you know what nick i mean it depends on how he takes the saudi cup if he does it without without a big effort yes we have to look at that race but if he gets on his belly and somebody makes him run then we're really going to have to think about what we want to do with him next so we're hoping that he gets away with absolute murder in the in the cup and if he does, we're going to go right over to Dubai with him. Okay. And what about his feet? Because obviously that was the big issue before he came to you, and you spent loads and loads of time working on that, and it worked. Are they for good feet at the moment? And that is, is that what's helping him to run? You know what? Since, since he's run, you know, we did have a little bit of difficulties just learning what kind of shoes we should put on him that can last the 30 days. And this was like a like an experimental thing you just keep going and keep tweaking as you go but man since he's run we have not had to tweak anything he has been spot on not an issue no heat just ready for tomorrow that's what he's always been like since he's run i look forward to seeing you in Riyadh at the end of february thanks nick good luck man well most of you will be familiar at the moment. There's a huge festival going on uh, on the Gold Coast in Australia. The Magic Millions, big, big sale, and then a big, big race day Saturday as well. Um, Jamie McCalmont, who's a regular contributor to this this podcast, is there um, and, and sent me a message a few moments ago just espousing the virtues of this whole entity uh, and really something that the world can can learn from. So, Jamie, tell me why. Yeah. Well, it's just an amazing atmosphere here, Um the sale, the, the whole, uh, you know, it's January, every, everyone, you know, it's a great place to be, the weather's amazing, you're on the beach, you know, there's show jumping, there's polo, and, um, you know, the, the sale market has managed to uh, hold up here, and, uh, you know, there's, you know, the clearance rate is, is high, um, the, the, the sale average is the same as last year, and you know Jerry Harvey and his wife, uh, uh, you know, they, they put on a great, they put on a great, um, you know, they put on a great show. It's amazing. It's it's uh, yes, it's, it's, it's incredible that you know the Australians seem to be able to, you know, they're in a country that loves sport, and um, they, you know, the, the whole syndication of horses here is, is different. They have great prize money, and you know, everyone wants to own a racehorse here. 
Yeah, we, we know the Australian model is great. We know they've got the advantage of lovely weather at this time of year, um, the beach there, of course, and, uh, and a sport that is, if not on the up, at least burgeoning in terms of prize money and being able to acquire quality horses from elsewhere. But it just, I'm very interested in this as a concept, the concept that you're not just selling horses through an auction, you're not just putting a hammer down, you're not just running them around a field, but you're actually putting on a whole show for people who will be attracted by something. Uh, and that, I wonder, is... That that seems to me the most interesting part of this. Yeah, it's... It, it's it, it's uh, Obviously, it's the it's like... It's like they're August here. So that, that makes a big difference. But, the, you, you know, the whole thing's got a glamour appeal about it. I mean, today was basically the last day of the sale before the big race day tomorrow. And there were more people at the sale today than there were the rest of the week. I mean, you know, the whole place was packed out. I mean, you know, it was, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, every wooden basset that went through the sail ring sold. I mean, that's that's incredible. And and how about your own personal involvement this 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 week, Jamie? What's been your what's been your your main main role? Who have you been buying for, selling for, looking for? Uh, well, I, I, I've got uh, two clients, Mark Chang and George Von Opel, have been involved in a, a syndicate with Coolmore that are buying potential stallions. And then George has been uh, selling some... Uh, he, he had six uh, yearlings go through that he owned part of with Coolmore and all six of those sold. And, uh, you know, they, they all sold very well. Which is a, as you say, a, a, a tremendous result. And and in terms of Mark Chan's own involvement in in UK racing next year, are we going to see some of the old favourites back? Is is Kin Ross going to come back? Yeah, Kin Ross is back with Rafe, and uh, he's back training, and uh, hope to go down a similar route as last year. And and no regrets that you you missed missed off those last few weeks. Just give him a little bit of a break. No, no, you know, I mean, you know, you know, at his age now. You know, he can run on firm ground, but, you know, he's clearly better on soft ground. So, you know, we were, yeah, we were all happy, including Mark, to do that. Okay, and I see your old mate Frankie Dottori was doing Piers Morgan last night in the weighing room at, at Santa Anita. He's clearly getting on okay third, I think, in the jockey's table there at the moment. Uh, have you managed to get him on any any rides? Yeah, we rides uh, uh, two for Paul Redham tomorrow on, on uh, Cal Cup Day. And uh, he had three out of four winners one day. And... Uh, yeah, he seems to be very happy and uh, it's all going very well for him. So that's great. All right, that's Jamie McCalmont in Australia. And before that, Rick Dutrow in the United States with eyes on the Middle East. And my thanks to Lucinda Russell and to Kerry Lee and to Christian Leach and to Will Woodhams in a busy show. And of course, to Lydia Hislop, who probably wasn't watching talk TV last night. That's just my guess. <laughs> Unaccountably, no, I wasn't. Um... <laughs> It's uh, even even Piers Morgan, I'm sure, would concede if one asked him that the the Santa Anita weighing room is a very very um, evocative and rather good backdrop for expensively made television. <laughs> is that where it took place? Uh, yeah, I mean the, the jockeys room. It's, it is a beautiful. It's a beautiful um, shot. That uh, I, I only saw the the clips on on social media. I didn't. I haven't seen the the full interview, but it's it's nothing that anyone who's listening to this program won't have heard already. I don't think. Do you think Frankie Dottori's life has been moving towards this point? Uh, <laughs> I wonder what could possibly have um, possibly have possessed Piers to be in in uh, California this week rather than on home soil. 
I, I think that just just coincidence. I think. I think it. I think it's a wise choice on uh, <laughs> on on every level. And of course, that's a neat connection with where we began this podcast. It is indeed with, with his his uh, great friend and former colleague Martin Crudus. <laughs> yes, mirror cohorts. Anyway. Uh, onwards to I, I love that uh, do you see uh, this program is not just thrown together is it you, <laughs> i have i've used that line a few times yeah have yeah. you <laughs> so, so, sorry sorry to open it but yeah we, we come a full circle and now and finally you're going to ask me for a bet and finally tonight uh lydia hislop <laughs> has a wager for you it might it's so dark outside the window and it's still 11 o'clock ish that it could easily be night gone well what have you got for me uh, I'm going to nace the 12 minutes past one and a ho the horse called It Was Safe uh, running for Henry de Bromhead there. Uh, still a maiden over fences, but I think this course and distance and ground combination are going to be suiting him much more than many of his rivals. Uh, Ruby Walsh, at the end of your excellent road to Cheltenham last night, which I was able to actually watch on the real television at the appointed time, which can surely never happen. Very unusual. Yeah. Um, Close the show by saying good luck to the person editing this program. Um, good luck to the program editing this one as well, which happens to be me. And I'm going to go and do that now. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, that was Friday, the 12th of January. Uh, Charlotte will be back this evening with a Saturday edition. We've got plenty to, of interviews to head into tomorrow's racing. Uh, and I will be back with you on Monday morning. Uh, see you then. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm -hmm.